Hello, everyone. It's Mick. Mick Sullivan, you know, from the past on The Curious. Welcome to the show. Hey, this month has been a doozy. I've had a lot of stuff going on, and you know what? I'm not going to get a full episode out. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. It's tough to do sometimes. It's usually one a year that I miss, so hopefully this is it. But I do have this episode, which is episode 7 of the Underwear Chronicles, and um, I... I'm excited to send this one out to all of the Australian listeners. I know that there's a lot of you out there, and I know that I've gotten lots of suggestions and lots of requests to do someone from Australia. And, well, Annette Kellerman is from Australia. And a uh, really interesting story. And also, you know what? Where I am here in Louisville, Kentucky, the swimming pools are opening this weekend. And Annette Kellerman, oh boy, the things she did for swimming. So, Sit back, relax, maybe think about taking a dip, and enjoy Annette Kellerman. In the late 1800s, people began jumping in the water like they never had before. Now, moves like the cannonball and the jackknife and the belly flop had yet to be perfected, but for the first time, more and different people were finally dipping in more than just their toes. Of course, the refreshing pleasure of a nice float was known to many already, but around this time, swimming was finally becoming the popular pastime that it is today. Far beyond the joy of splashing in the surf, people began to realize that swimming was as healthy as it was enjoyable. When Annette Kellerman was born in New South Wales, Australia in 1886, it didn't look like she'd be one of those many new swimmers. As a young girl, she had a very difficult time walking. Doctors did not agree on what caused her ailment. Some said it was polio, but others thought it was rickets. Whatever the case was, her legs could not support her body. At the age of six, she was fitted for metal leg braces to help her walk. For years, the young girl met all of her challenges with the support of her parents, who knew that she would not give up. When a clever new doctor recommended that the young girl start swimming, they arranged for her to have swim lessons and practically threw her in the water. This prescription might have been one of the most momentous doctor's orders in history. Swimming allowed Annette to develop the muscles in her legs free from the pull of gravity. Slowly, the strength came, and within a few years, Annette could be seen walking to the tidal swimming pools of Sydney Harbor with comfort and ease. Her determination came as no surprise, but soon people were surprised by the teenager's growing speed and dexterity in the water. Even more surprising was the discovery that the young woman had a fierce competitive streak. The supportive metal braces became a rusty memory which barely bothered her mind. Instead, a mere decade later, Annette was completely focused on improving her speed while swimming for distance. There were not many women in competitive swimming at the time, and she knew that there was room for her at the top. Her first goal was to set a world record in the pool. And it didn't take long. At the age of 16, she swam the 100 meter faster than any woman had ever done before. The waves seemed to part, and Annette began to see a clear path for her life. Most lives take place on land, but her greatest moments would take place in the water. So she dove in. 
and it was more than just the thrill of swimming fast and winning a match that tickled her toes, though. Annette truly treasured her time treading in pools, diving into lakes, and splashing in the ocean. The pruned fingers, limbered limbs, and pleasant exhaustion after a day in the water left her feeling delighted, and she wanted other people to be dripping with that same joy. This doesn't mean she was without a few criticisms for the sport. At the top of the list of things she wished to change about swimming were women's swimsuits. If you were to challenge someone to make the most uncomfortable or most dangerous swimsuit imaginable, they might get pretty close to something that women actually wore in the 1800s. One of society's biggest concerns at the time was how a woman dressed. Just because a woman was heading to the beach for a fun day of frolicking in the surf, sand, and sun, many would tell you that she had no right to relax her dress coat. Dull opinions from nosy people were quite common, and these nosy people pointed incredulously to the new bloomers women were so proud to tromp around in. The full-length, loose-fitting underpants were freeing on land, but a required hindrance in the water. But that was just the beginning. She was also covered from neck to knees by a dress. As if the idea of swimming in a dress wasn't bad enough, consider that many of these dresses were made of wool. It should come as no surprise that when wet, wool weighs an awful lot. As a result, many of those wool-wearing women went straight to the bottom of the water. And just in case the hemline of the woolen dress scandalously rose above a lady's knees as she swam, some swimsuits had metal weights sewn into the bottom of the fabric. The modesty-minded and heavy-handed alteration helped keep the dress down, along with the poor lady's spirits. Not to mention her entire body if she wasn't a strong swimmer. Obviously, this was not going to work for Annette. Watching men swim carefree and unhindered would certainly make a lady wonder why she couldn't wear the same safe and speedy swimsuits they enjoyed. There's a saying, sometimes it's better to beg for forgiveness than to ask for permission. The saying might have crossed Annette's mind when she first put on a men's suit instead of her own. Most places in the world would expect permission or an apology for such a bold move by a lady, but Annette got and gave neither. She just did it. It may have caused an immediate uproar, and it may have ultimately changed the fashion of swimwear, but more important to Annette, a men's swimsuit was faster and safer. As many women had learned, a poor suit could take the joy out of swimming and make it difficult, even dangerous. The decision to don a new suit would slowly change both the world and the typical family beach trip. Everyone can agree that drowning at the beach tends to put a damper on one's vacation. By today's standards, Annette's new suit was pretty tame. Really, it was just a tank top connected to a pair of shorts ending just above the knees. It fit her body closely, and that was by design. Extra flowing fabric meant slower swimming, and Annette had records to break. Still, some folks found it simply scandalous. The strong reactions helped her get attention when she decided to take the new suit to Europe. There was plenty of curiosity about her new unweighted, dress-free, and drowning-resistant swimsuit, but more than that, everyone wanted to see if she lived up to her reputation as one of the world's most incredible swimmers. She did not disappoint. For crowds of spectators, Annette added marathon swims of rivers throughout Europe to her growing resume. Now, these certainly were not pleasure swims, 
Tugboats and barges chugged along beside her, turning up wake in the oily, dirty water. Despite the sludge, newspapers published stories of the Australian mermaid and her river excursions, to the interest of many people. One paper hired her to swim across the English Channel, the same stretch of salty water separating England and France that two nearly naked aeronauts had ballooned over in a previous episode. She slipped into her suit, slathered herself in seal grease, and set out swimming. She wasn't alone. In addition to the boats trailing her for safety, several men were attempting the arduous crossing themselves. Also covered in grease, these men had the additional aerodynamic luxury of swimming while completely naked. The ocean water was too much for her, and for all of the men, too. She made it over halfway across in six hours before having to signal the safety boats to get her out. Later, she'd say her endurance was up to the challenge, but she was not physically strong enough for the rough water. Official reports chalked the failure up to seasickness. Whatever queasiness she felt was more likely a result of being surrounded by greasy naked guys rather than the sloshy roller coaster of ocean waves. Always eager for an audience, she turned to the stage. Vaudeville entertainment was a huge draw for people at the time, and crowds flocked to the theaters to see variety shows filled with music and dance and comedy and, believe it or not, swimming. Taking advantage of her growing popularity in Europe, Annette joined a bill of some large shows, performing a mermaid act in a gigantic tank that was wheeled onto the stage. She blended ballet, diving, and synchronized swimming into a popular production that captured the imagination and raked in ticket sales. The royal family of England, as curious as everyone, wished to see Annette's performance. The invitation probably came as a shock to Annette, the little girl from Australia was now the most famous swimmer in the world and would be performing for the most powerful people in England. If the request didn't come as a surprise, the second part of the invitation certainly did. The royal family traditionally commanded the strictest standards of etiquette. Anyone in their presence had to be very careful with what they did and what they said. In addition, people also had to be careful with what they wore. It didn't matter if they were at a banquet table or in a giant fish tank. Annette was told her suit was improper and that she would need to cover her bare legs in the presence of royalty. So Annette pondered the dilemma. It would be impossible for her to do an act in a weighted woolen woman drowning dress. She'd either die or disappoint the royal family. I mean, they'd be disappointed if she couldn't swim well in an unfamiliar suit, but hopefully they'd be more disappointed if she drowned. To solve the problem, she went to her underwear drawer. It's easy to believe Annette spent all of her time swimming, getting pruny as an Australian raisin, but she did spend at least some of her time walking around on the dry ground like the rest of us. For these rare times above the surface, she wore dresses, blouses, and all of the usual things that women wore at the time. Underneath those landlover dresses, she often wore stockings. And it was a pair of these thick black stockings that would save her performance. By sewing the hosiery into the short legs of the knee-length swimsuit, Annette created a one-piece that stretched from her toes to her shoulders, offering enough coverage to appease the sensitive eyes of the royal family 
and enough mobility to still swim like a mermaid. The underwear modification was a brilliant solution, and she was a hit with the royals and all of their noble friends. After conquering Europe in such grand fashion, Annette looked for the next great adventure. She cast her ungoggled Australian eyes towards America. It might have come as a surprise, but dealing with society's expectations wouldn't be much easier across the ocean. What should have been a casual swim one day at Revere Beach, not far from Boston, turned into a new scandal. Believing she was no longer in need of the stockings, she brought out her original suit and readied herself for some bare-legged bathing in the Atlantic Ocean. Before she could even dip the tiniest tip of her toes into the foam, though, she felt a tap on her shoulder. It was the police. Annette was arrested for indecent exposure. In the eyes of the arresting officer, swimming in her suit was the same as swimming in her underwear. Some folks think that the whole thing might have been a publicity stunt. Annette was a pretty big star, and Revere Beach was well known for having over-eager cops enforcing a very stringent dress code. Whatever the case might have been, she made her own case to the judge when she explained that her suit was safer, easier, and as proper as any man's. The judge knew she was right, and he requested that she wear a robe while relaxing on Revere Beach, but made it clear that she was welcome to swim in her suit, free from legal intervention. If it was a publicity stunt, it worked, because the incident got a lot of attention. And before long, women all over the world were wearing similar swimsuits, which they called Annette Kellermans. The rest of Annette's life was dedicated to her core beliefs. She wrote best-selling books about swimming and health and fitness. She appeared in a few motion pictures, and later in her life, she owned one of the earliest health food stores in California. It was a remarkable life, and her impact is felt with every women's swimsuit hanging on store shelves or stuffed into suitcases and swim bags. It's easy to argue that her biggest break came with the invite from England's royal family, which she could not have fulfilled without those black stockings that she found in her underwear drawer. Well, okay, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, I, I promise that we'll have two episodes next month. We'll be back on track. Everything's gonna be back to normal very soon. Um, but because I don't have a full episode this month, I do want to thank some Patreon people, and I have a Patreon song for someone special. Uh, so first off, I would like to thank and give a shout out to Charlotte Moe in Sonoma, California. Charlotte, hello to you. I'd love to hear what your favorite episode is, so sometimes send me a line, drop me a line, you know, let me know. I always love hearing about those things. Um, also... Finn in Germany. What's going on, Finn? It was really great to learn about how much you enjoy the show. I've heard you listen to every episode, which is awesome. Uh, I have forgotten about many of the episodes, so if I ever have questions, I might ask you, okay? Uh, so I'm so glad that you're out there. Uh, it's great to know, uh, and uh, that's a part of the world that I uh, am very fond of. So enjoy it while you're there, friend. Um, okay, so I have a song for Elliot, uh, and a thank you for Elliot and Elodie. Elliot wanted a song about orcas, because he really likes orcas. He likes a lot of other things, but I zeroed in on the orcas, um, and he wanted it to have electric guitar, so that's what I did. Hope you like it, Elliot, and hope everyone else does too. 
Here comes Elliot the Orca guy. Is it a porpoise? Is it a whale? Is it a dolphin with that fin and tail? One thing I know is that a killer it's not. That's just one thing I learned from Elliot. Elliot's the orca guy. He knows all the orca stuff. Everybody, we'll talk to you very soon. Uh, have a great early summer, and thank you so much for listening. This has been the Pass on the Curious. I am Mick Sullivan.